From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. For some reason, I knew that. I don't know. I, I, I woke up this morning, and I, I just knew it was OneRadioNetwork.com. Good morning. It's just a few minutes after 10 o'clock, just a bit late here. We are working on a couple of technical things, but we got it all straightened out. My nose itches. That means it always happens when I go in the air. And uh, my name is Patrick Timpone. It is May, is it the 5th? Yeah, 4th. May 4th, uh, 2022. And you've got OneRadioNetwork.com. Our 800 number is working. It's actually a 888 888-663-6386. Email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. After our show here with Fred Jaszewski, we're going to just take a quick break and go to the little boys' room, and then we're going to come back and talk about some things going on in the world for our second show this morning. It'll be you and I, baby. Fred Jaszewski is here. Fred's a good friend, and I've known him for a very long time. He's the uh, former partner of Andrew Goss when the company was SDL Incorporated. Andrew, as you probably know, was a weekly guest here for since, well, 2008, and before that on KLBJ Radio with the Real World of Money show. And uh, Andrew left us about three years ago. Uh, Rascal, he just uh, decided to leave planet uh, the Earth plane. And so Fred uh, regrouped his company. It is, now, it is now called U.S. Coin Capital. And they're in... Um, you're, still up in you're still up there in North Carolina, though, right? Freddie, good morning. Well, let me turn on your microphone. Yeah, it's still North Car- South Carolina, right? South Carolina. South Carolina. South Hilton Head Island. <clears throat> well, Fred, good morning to you. Uh, thank, south thank, of the border. <laughs> south of the border, come Mexico way. Good to have you here. And your company is U.S. Coin Capital at 800-878-2646. And Fred's here on the first Monday, or the first Wednesday, rather, of each month. And that would be today, May 4th. Well, the Federal Reserve Board is going to be meeting in, what, an hour or two? Yeah, uh, before 2 o'clock, they should be making their formal announcement. And this is probably going to be one of the more important announcements coming out of the Fed. Uh, You know, everybody, when I say everybody, I I talk about the Wall Street mindset. So these are the traders, uh, the guys who are taking positions on a regular daily basis and, you know, watching the economy and, uh, you know, the guys who pretty much manage most of what happens within the, the stock market and the bond market and the daily economic markets, mm-hmm. they all have pretty much factored in that the Fed will raise rates a half a point today. Yeah. Um, I would think that that is going to be the case. I'm, I would say, 95% certain that's what's going to happen. I think if they don't do that, either going higher or lower, it's going to come quite as a surprise. Everybody, again, you know, they really have factored this in. So, you know, they've calculated this as already having happened. They've adjusted accordingly. So this is the broad expectation. But there is a bigger looming issue. Yeah, we'll talk and about that it. is the <laughs> Fed. It has to also announce what it's going to do about tapering its balance sheet. And yeah. And, we'll, and we're going to explain to people what this all means and how it can affect the mortgage rates if they want to buy a home or, you know, saving and the value of the dollar and all the things that are important to our listeners, right? Because this other stuff's kind of geeky, but you're smart enough you can explain to us how it falls back. You follow the bouncing ball. So the Fed is going to raise interest rates for the federal funds rate from, what, a half a point to a full point. 
And that's the first time they've doing it, Fred, uh, this big, and since 2008, right? Since 2008? Yeah, this is the, the big change. So, you know, for the past mm-hmm. few years, we've had a prevailing market environment of lowering or, or interest rates remaining steadily near zero. And the whole intention of that was the Fed's effort to fight against the forces of a slowdown in the economy, which they laid the blame mostly on COVID. And mm-hmm. let's accept that for the moment. <clears throat> so at least the last two years have been, you know, directly caused by economic slowdowns having to do with COVID. Hi. So, you know, the economy had slowed and slowed and the Fed had stepped in making dramatic efforts to try to move the economy forward, keeping rates low, near zero, and also building its own balance sheet. And it has had a huge impact on the economy. A lot of it is going to be carrying forward for many, many years, maybe as long as 10 years from really? now. Really? We'll still be feeling the after effects, as we still are from, you know, people almost forget uh, after 2008, uh, you know, we had massive economic changes created by actions of the Federal Reserve and the government that we're still feeling the impact of. And here it is. <clears throat> it's 2022. And what we've done in the past two years has actually been much larger than what was done in 2008. So if we're in 2022 still dealing with problems left over from 2008, wow. you know, how far out is it going to go before we feel the final effects of what we're done in the last two years? So you're alluding to the idea in the last couple of years, the amount of money that the Fed printed and then lent or bought stuff, it was just been phenomenal, right? Huge. Two years. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. Uh, nothing ever seen like it in U.S. history. So... You know, the the Fed bought an awful lot of debt from the U.S. government and put money into the economy in 2008. When it was done, it had over $4 trillion on its balance sheet. And that was comprised of a balance of bonds from the U.S. Treasury and a combination of mortgage-backed security documents that the Fed had purchased from various uh, investment interests. So with that $4.5 trillion on its balance sheet, at one point in 2012, <clears throat> the Fed made its first effort to do a little unwinding, which was disastrous. They try to slow down their purchases and push back some of what they had accumulated. Uh, the knee-jerk reaction from the bond market and the stock market was so horrific, they had to stop doing it. And this was before any of the current economic problems kicked in. Hmm. When COVID happened, uh, the Fed went back to this policy of trying to buy debt from the government to help the economy move forward. And ended up buying so much that that four four point four trillion ended up being something over nine trillion by the time they were done, which is where we sit now. And now the Fed's going to attempt to try to rapidly unwind this, and I think that is a bad decision, a dangerous decision, and I don't see how it's really going to work. Yeah. So I'm looking at the balance sheet right now, Freddie, and it's it's from three or four days ago, but we're looking at U.S. Treasury securities five points. Uh, Seven trillion, so almost six trillion in debt, right? That we the people owe the Fed. So, um, and that's just the Treasury securities. That, and so, what else do we? Yeah, that's just that. Their balance sheet is eight point nine. So let's call it nine trillion, right? Nine trillion dollars. So that's what they're talking about is raising the interest rates. Now, the interest rates that they're going to raise today, Fred, this is the amount of 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 uh, money that the banks will pay the Fed to loan them money, correct? And that's what it affects mortgages and stock market and everything else, right? Yes, it filters right down through. So if you see what's happened to that 30-year 
bond rate, the 10-year note is the key indicator for most people. Hmm. It was paying 1.4% two years ago. So if you bought that 10-year treasury from the U.S. government, you would give, be given an interest payment of 1.4%. It is currently pushing 3%. Whoa. So, so we've had that much of an increase already. And now the Fed is going to try to raise rates a little bit more. I, again, it really needs to do this to slow down the inflation beast that it has let out of the cage. But do you think that's going to work? It, it's I mean, created a big problem. Is that going to work? Because there's so many bloggers out there saying, you know, they can raise well, rates all they it, want. And it's not going to, it can't get rid of all the money that they, they created, right? I mean, really? What it can do is it can slow down the movement of the money, right? They, they can't reabsorb it. The only way to do that is for the Fed to do what it's talking about, which is unwinding its balance sheet, which is sort of the reverse of them pushing money into the economy by buying bonds. They want to now become a net seller. So they want to sell the bonds that they've accumulated off their balance sheet and effectively cash them in. Oh, so suck, so suck go money to, out of the economy, suck money out. Exactly. Right. That's a, So they can suck, in theory... They sell everything. They could suck nine trillion out because somebody's going to give them nine trillion for the paper they have, right? Sure. The only problem with that is that you have to find somebody to buy that. <laughs> that debt. I know. Well, that's always a problem. <laughs> so here, herein lies the funky problem. The Fed had to purchase a tremendous amount of debt as the government was pushing more debt into the open market because it needed money and it was trying to raise revenue. The last 14 Whenever years. there's a shortfall the last 14 and there aren't enough buyers, the Fed steps in and makes those allocations. So right. it absorbs the unsold amount of debt that the government's selling on a regular monthly basis. Hmm. So at this point, we always have unfunded amounts that the Fed steps in to purchase. Right. And what happens if that gets added then to the Fed's balance sheet? Right. So if the Fed is trying to sell, or the government, excuse me, is trying to sell $6 billion worth of short-term bonds today, but only finds $4 billion worth of buyers, the Fed will write the $2 billion gap check, write it to the Treasury, end up with that extra money now on its balance sheet, and hopefully at some point look to unwind that. So while we face a problem where the government is looking to raise more money, in other words, it needs to continually sell debt every month, simultaneously the Fed is saying it's going to try to sell its debt off its balance sheet back into the market. My question Not is, gonna work, what huh? happens if there aren't sustainable buyers, if the Fed can't step in and buy it, who ends up trying to buy all of this debt the Fed is trying to pump back into the market? Well, doesn't that just raise interest rates because you have to make it more attractive for people to buy it? And interest rates go to 10 or 15% like they did in 1980. It's the same game, right? I mean, isn't it? Well, uh, we, we could see rates rise as a cost of that, or we could just see simply an uneventful uh, sale. So, you know, we have an auction and nobody shows up. Well, what so happens it's unsuccessful. Then? What happens then? You know, the Fed is unable to do this. They're talking about trying to unwind four or five trillion dollars, try to get back to where they were in 2010 or 2012 <clears throat> at a hundred billion uh, a month. It would still take them four years to do that. Hmm. And that presumes that they could successfully sell a hundred billion in treasuries to an open market every month going forward for the next four years while simultaneously the U.S. government is still trying to raise its own revenue by selling current debt into the open market. I just don't see how this is going to work. Hmm. At the same time, the Fed is trying to raise interest rates because it's trying to slow down the flow of capital. 
And while it did its quantitative easing, which was the buying of debt right. that was pushing money into the economy, it's now looking to do quantitative tightening, which is, again, trying to bleed off all of this uh, massive amount on its accounting balances, push that back into the market. And I, again, I, I just don't see how this is going to function without a lot of market interruptions. But if Fred, if, if, if it would raise the, the 10 and 30 year interest that they'll pay people to up to 10 or 15 like it did in 1980, wouldn't that make it so attractive that they could sell this stuff? Uh, that'll make the new debt more attractive, the absolutely. So yeah, right. if you were buying debt now and, and you had an option to buy something from the Fed that paid less or a new bond that paid more, you're likely to want the new bond. You're, you're going to want the oh, you're gonna want the new stuff. Yeah. instrument. Oh, so, so you want the new stuff. So let me see if I understand. So we've got $6 trillion in, in in treasury debt on the Fed's balance sheet. So they sell that at the current rate that they're paying the treasury? They're selling that at whatever it was paying when that's they what purchased I mean. it. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it yeah. could be 2 or 3%. Who's going to buy that? Well, that's the problem. <laughs> you know, again, <laughs> they're running you into buy their, that? Own, their own roadblock. <laughs> that's what you're saying. Why so would you it, buy that if they know that the, that the new treasury <laughs> debt that the treasury is going to make is going to keep going up, right? Why would, exactly. it, why would you so buy the, the 2%? Only, the only rationale is that there's volume of it available. So, you know, the, the Fed will do what it can to try to push this stuff back into the market. Mm. And if it's unsuccessful in this effort, uh, it could create volatility. Now, I had suggested, I think, maybe on our, our last episode or the one before, mm -hmm. that once the environment had changed from the Fed not lowering rates or keeping them at zero and reversing to now having rates go up, that it was going to change the way the stock market was going to function because about 30% of the gains in the stock market over the past two years have come from one specific resource and that was the ability of large corporations to borrow money at almost zero and buy use that stock. money to purchase their own stock and drive the stock values higher yes sir roughly 30% of the gains in the stock market in the past two years has directly been from that government issued debt coming into the open market countries and and other balance sheets adding to their balance sheets of debt instruments but corporations using the availability of free money to buy their own stock driving the stock prices higher looks great for a while it prates the ceos into you know huge payment yeah. <laughs> balances and bonuses they were staggering last year there were records of ceos making bonus checks last year think about that in an economy where everybody else is struggling the ceos were making more money than ever because the stock prices had gone up but not because the company had grown and not because the company had done anything different to raise additional capital or grown the size of their company instead all they had done was utilize a financial trick a gimmick borrow money at near zero buy your own stock if you can raise it for a half a point or a point you've profited and when you're talking about you know, billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. This is a, a very mm. profitable vehicle. Okay, let's go back to, say you have uh, six trillion of treasuries at low interest rates that people don't really want because the treasury is going to have to um, raise interest rates on what they pay so they can sell their stuff, right? So, and you said it, it's going to cause volatility. What does that mean, Fred, exactly? Uh, can't the 
can't the Fed just leave this stuff on their books if nobody wants to buy it? What's what's that? Why is that a problem? I don't understand well, that. Well, okay. The problem is, is the Fed cannot end up indefinitely just simply being the last buyer of last resort and continually being the only person absorbing debt. Ah. You know, at some point, you know, we need support for government debt to come from a broader spectrum of the world. We need foreign countries to say, I'm willing to buy U.S. government debt. We need individuals to buy U.S. government debt because, you know, people tend to forget the government has a perpetual need for money. (laughs) They're, They're terrible about the fact that they're bleeding money constantly. And every month they come up with shortfalls because they're running deficits. So they can't bring in enough money through normal resources to cover their expenses. They have to sell debt in order to make up that gap which is perfectly fine because most investors are usually willing to say, okay, I'm going to loan my government, you know, $100 million at today's interest rates, and I get paid interest rates on that money, and everybody's happy. So the government has the need fulfilled. I get interest on my money, and the functioning market continues to work. The problem is, is a lot of people are experiencing an inflationary interest rate issue, which is that we are in a negative yielding world. So what I mean by that is that the debt that's offered, the interest payments that are being offered that it's will, willing to pay are not high enough to cover the current rate of inflation. inflation right. So in reality, you buy $100 million with the debt that pays 2% <laughs> when the inflation rate is 8%, you you're really giving up 6% a year of your money and you understand that going into it. But sometimes that seems like a reasonable choice because the other option is to Maybe, for for example, invest in the stock market that now is becoming extremely volatile. I don't know if you've noticed, but the past month or so, the volatility index, they call it the VIX, yeah, V-I-X the yeah, which is simply a, you know, an assigned number to show how much volatility there is in the market. You know, it had been a number that had run 8, 9, 10, 12 mm. was pretty high. We've seen the volatility index go over 30 in the past couple months numerous times and the stock market every day every day is moving 400 points 500 points 800 up and down so this volatility is coming from this new readjustment so as the world is moving forward companies are now reporting their current earnings for this new year and what's happening is that people are reevaluating the stock value saying well let's presume 30% of the value of your stock right now has simply come from you utilizing low interest rates to buy your own stock. So in other words, we already think your stock's a little bit overvalued, which means that when you report this quarter, it better be a hell of a quarter. It better be gangbusters, because otherwise, how do you justify this current stock value? Hmm. And God forbid you come out with a corporate earnings report that is not spectacular. Well, you're going to get crushed in the current market. They're going to devalue your stock dramatically, and it's going to create huge sell-offs. And this is why we're getting these volatile swings in the market as the companies no longer can make their stock just keep going up month after month by buying it. Now they have to actually drive the stock value higher by doing what they should be doing as a company, creating more earnings or growing their company in the real world. And traders know this stuff. I mean, they're not, you know, they're, oh, they may, they know they may well. be drinking a lot of coffee and whatever, but they know this stuff, and this is what, what's going on. Uh, Fred Dashevsky is with us, and we are live here this morning on 4 May 
2022. If you care to join us, our 800 line is working. You can ask Fred a question about your particular issue. 888-663-6386. Email Patrick, OneRadioNetwork.com. His company is U.S. Coin Capital, and he buys and sells gold coins for a living as a little uh, disclaimer. But uh, And we'll tell you more about that and how you might be able to get some gold and silver stuff. So... Um, I saw where may the fourth be with you. May the fourth, may the what? The fourth be with you. So I saw where the GDP this last quarter was minus one point four percent. So okay, so yeah. so we're not producing anything. I mean, this is this classic stagflation, inflation yes. with no growth. This is what happened yes. during the Jimmy Carter era, right? Yes, Pretty this much? is this is the worst case scenario worst outside case. of a deep recession Whoa. that we could experience. So when you have an inflationary economy, if the growth is happening simultaneously, the general economic understanding is that growth can absorb debt. It mm-hmm. can absorb some of the problems. So if the company uh, or the corporation or the country, even any way you look at that, is growing, then if it's adding more debt, some of that can be absorbed by that additional growth. But what happens when you have additional debt being piled on and you're getting no growth? No growth. Or worse, slowing growth. Now you have a real problem. You have money coming into the economy, expanding the supply of money, inflation growing, but there's no absorption possibility. There's no sponge to suck up all this additional capital. And that creates a huge problem for the Federal Reserve because normally Mm -hmm. there is a way for them to deal with that. If we were in a regular economic environment and we were facing any form of stagflation, the Fed could simply say, okay, we know how to deal with this. We're going to drop interest rates and make them significantly lower. And that will help with the stagflation problem because it'll kickstart the growth part of the economy that isn't happening. Hmm. We're not seeing growth in the economy, but we can make growth happen if we make interest rates lower. The only problem, however, is that we've already done that. We've utilized that tool to its extent. We've gone so far as to drop rates to low, 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 and we've gotten to zero. And when that wasn't sufficient, the Fed then instituted all of these cute little tricks like quantitative easing and everything that it did to continue to try to drive rates down, which it successfully did. But simultaneously, by doing all of those things, it opened a very large gate to a monster that had been hiding for 30 or 40 years, and that's the beast of inflation, (laughs) which has now been released. It's out there and running amok. So... Everything from, you know, groceries to gasoline are going up in price because the inflation we've created has been exorbitant and now the inflation beast is loose. So the Fed house now has to face a very unusual situation. Mm. It can't lower rates when it's trying to fight inflation because the way you fight inflation is you raise rates. Raise rates, which is what they're so going to do today. If you're gonna, right? Yeah, half a point. Right. right. So if you're going to raise rates to fight inflation, you're not simultaneously going to be able to stimulate economic growth, which means you're basically accepting the notion that the Fed's going to create either stagflation or, believe it or not, the big money guys, they're all betting on recession. A recession, is that two quarters of negative growth or is that a classic? Two or three quarters of negative negative economic growth. So every... That word's being thrown around, so that's really pretty much what's going to happen. You keep raising rates, right, Fred? 
Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, it, it's it's tough to say for certain, but it's going to be, in my opinion, either stagflation or recession. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the big money guys, and these are the biggest guys that the are out boys, there on Wall right. Street that have been around for decades. They've researched this stuff back to the 1940s. They've looked at every economic environment we've ever been through. They're betting on recession. They all are piling into this recession pool saying they don't see any other possible outcome. I think we might get stagflation for a while, but a recession seems almost inevitable. And then the Fed has a new problem. You know, now now what do you do? How do you raise rates and lower rates at the same time? What do traders do when they feel like recession is coming? What do they where do they put their money? Well, that's interesting. That's a good question because that's the choice that they make on a daily basis now, which is why everybody is hanging. They're hanging on this Fed decision today. Is the Fed going to maintain what it said it's going to do? It has absolutely projected this out. You know, there's no question that the Fed has said flat out what they're going to do today. I mean, they have forecast it to the point where it's accepted already. It's as if it's already happened. Again, the bigger question is going to be, what do they say about how they're going to manage this balance sheet? I mean, if they're going to try to get aggressive about reducing the balance sheet, and I think there's a rationale for that. As odd as it would seem, it, it almost seems like, why would the Fed try to unwind its balance sheet in such a weird and uncertain and weak economy? The answer is, is I think it needs to leave itself room to go back to buying more debt from the federal government again in another cycle because it may end up with no other choice but to try to stimulate economic activity again by coming back and being an aggressive bond buyer so in order to be back in that position where they can do that they've got to get rid of some of the stuff they've acquired over them they just can't continue to add i, I know we throw the numbers around a lot. but we are talking about trillions trillions of dollars on the fed's balance sheet it's not billions or hundreds of billions it's trillions and at a hundred billion a month in bond sales it's still going to take them four years to unwind this monstrous size balance sheet and meanwhile then the treasury is about a hundred billion in the red every month right pretty close right trillion well all right is that again whatever the government's deficit spending has to be dealt with on top of that that's what Uh, i mean yeah it would be nice if we had a government that was you know running a positive cash flow so that the fed could do this and the open market and the economy could absorb the debt and you know and the government wasn't simultaneously looking for money but the government is still looking for money on a monthly basis it's having bond auctions every month sure and some of it has still been unsubscribed so it's still facing a big problem yeah it can't find buyers at current levels that's for sure not enough and then you add on to this whole ukraine thing and you have Fauci out there and Bill Gates uh, talking about new variants, right? I mean, they're 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 gonna do, they want to do something else. You watch these guys; they're not gonna let up on controlling people, in my opinion. Um, you know, you got some real stupid stuff going on in the in the, yeah. in the world of money. As right? if there weren't enough. Right? Hey, we, there weren't we have enough. a lot of crazy stuff going on. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, now yeah. You, Ukraine has added a number of problems. Sure. It, it yeah. has created another inflationary problem. It has created a little bit of a, a stagging, like, uh, slowdown of economic growth around the world. Obviously, we're pushing sanctions on Russia to try to prevent them from, you know, a good flowing economy. This is how we're trying to punish them for what we deem is inappropriate behavior. Right. So, for example, Russia today had a scramble. It had to come up with $650 million today. 
Oh, did really? In order to pay off bonds that it owned that were due, and it had to be paid in U.S. dollars. And they try to say, well, we'll pay it in rubles, and nobody would nobody, do it. Nobody wanted the like, rubles. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, the, the people that held their debt said, no, we want U.S. dollars. So Russia had to scramble to find its stockpile, which it had, of U.S. dollars, and use those U.S. dollars to pay off its debt, that it barely made it through today. And it's got more coming up in the next couple of weeks. Wow. So <clears throat> the sanctions, you know, are creating problems for other people. So let's say you know you were a, a, a regular, normal international investor, and you allowed Russia to hold U.S. Treasury bonds, and now they're due and they're paying you. You know, you're saying, "Well, wait, I want to get paid in U.S. dollars," and Russia's saying, "Well, we don't have U.S. dollars. Will you take rubles?" And you're saying no. So now the U.S. government is like, "Well, do we allow Russia to default on its debt, or do we give them access to more U.S. dollars, which we're trying to prevent them from having?" to force them to have to use rubles <laughs> and, you know, to, to push sanctions on them. So th this whole thing is spreading worldwide Just crazy. as a much bigger problem than I think they might have figured initially because I don't think they thought it through and recognized that the backwash might even affect allies of ours that are holding debt from Russia that are looking to try to get paid. Yeah. Oh, you mean thought it through by not working a deal to, to not have NATO go into Ukraine, which started this thing in the first place. Is that what you're talking about? The United States didn't, you know. That's all. My sources said that's all Putin wanted, really. Just tell me you're not going to put NATO into Ukraine, and and we're good. And uh, they didn't want to yep. do it. They didn't want to do it. So they pushed them into this, in my opinion. Um, so, and now Europe is saying we're gonna we're gonna uh, ban uh, Russian oil. Did you see that into the EU? And they need I, it. I'm sorry, I can barely hear you, Patrick. You can barely hear me. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you turn up your volume a little bit? I don't know what's going on. Hold on. So now we're seeing. Can you hear me now? Now you see. Huh? That's a little better. Is it a little better? I wonder why. I'm, I'm still a little, little, little soft. I'm, I'm but going, I got you. I'm going full blown. So, so the EU is saying that they want to ban Russian oil, uh, but they need it. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what's up with that. And there are many people that are paying rubles as. Putin is demanding, right, for their oil and gas. So it's a real dance Well, Russia does have, you know, they, they do they, have a wonderful uh, ability to continue to raise capital because they do have oil reserves, right? And, and gas. that is one of the things that has saved them yeah. is their ability to sell oil to whoever they choose to at whatever price they choose to because they do have a, a large supply and, and that has enabled them to skirt some of the issues. But I, I think eventually these sanctions will begin to have enough of an impact that it's going to be a problem for them. They might be able to, you know, get away without it being too impactful for a while because they can raise more capital now by selling more oil. But, you know, that also becomes its own problem. So uh, they have to align people who want to buy Russian oil. And if we ally a group of countries to all say we're not going to buy Russian oil, well, now you're cutting off their biggest resource of revenue. You know, if everybody gets together, let's say every country, just imagine sure. if every country said, we're not going to buy any Russian oil. Well, now Russia's screwed because now it, it cannot raise the revenue it's going to need. And now the sanctions that we're putting on it huh. that won't allow it to play ball with the other investment banks around the world and not use U.S. dollars, that's going to have a much greater impact. As but, long as Russia could continue to sell oil, 
yeah. you know, the the sanction impacts are going to be a lot less impactful. Well, they're they're selling it to China for yuan, and now he just sure. he just got back from India and made a deal with Modi to sell them. I don't know, for, I think for rubles. So if he got India and China, he might have enough buyers for. To Maybe China is right? having a real economic slowdown, yeah. and that, that's also creating a big problem. You know, they account for about twenty-five percent of the world's economic movement and, and economy as a whole. So, as they slow down, as is happening in Europe and also the rest of Asia, uh, it's been rather interesting because money has been piling into the U.S. dollar. You know, we've talked about that dollar index. Right. Remember, we Let had talked about it, it today, was like yeah. 93. And, you know, we were talking about, boy, if it strengthens to 93 and a half, 94, that was a sign that the U.S. dollar was really getting strong. Normally, that pushed down the price of gold and silver because those things are mirror images. Well, the dollar index has skyrocketed. It went over 101 and it's climbing. And we're at a 20 year high for the dollar. 103 and today. Yet gold is still at 1860 an ounce. Yeah, 103 today. 103.22 at this point. 103. Okay. That's crazy. So, yeah. These are record highs for the U.S. dollar. I mean, more strength in the U.S. dollar than the last 20 years. And why is that? Is it because internally things are great in the U.S.? No. It's because. You know, as the adage goes, the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry, uh, the U.S. dollar now looks attractive to worldwide investors because if China's slowing down and their economy's at zero, well, there's no point in having, you know, Chinese yuan. If, if Japan and the rest of Asia is slowing down, you're not going to denominate value in yen. The ruble, you know, is, is, is insane. Uh, the risk in a ruble right now, although it's held up okay yes, because okay. Russia's been able to sell oil. Right. I think most people around the world would deem the ruble as pretty risky. And where does that leave everybody? <laughs> well, we look back at U.S. and say, okay, you know, yeah, nine trillion on the Fed balance sheet, thirty-two trillion dollars worth of national debt. You know, an economy that's barely growing, if at all, and lots of problems on the horizon. But all in all. They look a little better than Europe, Asia, and everybody else. So pile into the U.S. dollar, and this is why the dollar is strengthening. What's amazing to me is as strong as the dollar has been, it should have driven gold prices through the floor. Right. And it has not been able to do that because no one's buying this. They're just simply reacting to the market on a short-term basis. But no one's forgetting the fact that the inflationary problem is looming in the background at a level that no one's seen you know we have a whole generation of americans that have never experienced inflation really it's been 40 years yeah, since right. we've had yeah. inflation at eight and a half or nine percent there's a whole generation that have never grown up with any inflationary problems they've never seen prices go up at the grocery store they've never had to pay you know jimmy carter your money for oil and and for gas Gasoline. for their car yeah they're you know those people who live in the northeast that have oil burners that have to put a couple thousand dollars worth of you know uh, oil in their tanks to fill up for the winter they are going to be hurt by these increasing prices and this is something a lot of people have not experienced but anecdotally now it's impossible not to see the inflation yeah even those people that don't pay attention to economics you're experiencing it on a day-to-day -day basis and because of that a lot of people realize there is a flaw there's something fundamentally wrong here in the U.S., and it's still driving capital into gold and silver, even with the dollar at a 20-year high. So, I don't know. If I was somebody who had a, a lot of money and with a lot of power and influence, I'd be just buying gold. I mean, I mean, it, it, there must be a demand for gold that's 
pretty, pretty. Oh, it's huge. It's huge it is right huge. Now? Yeah. Silver and gold, it's been massive. In fact, if I were an investor right now sitting on capital Boom. that I'm looking at over the next five years, I would be stockpiling gold and silver right now. I would be loading heavily into <laughs> that market right now because I'm telling you, the dollar is going to experience a loss in purchasing power at such a vast and extensive level that we have not been used to for so long uh, that it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. And those people that are thinking about retirement or have, again, large amounts of money that they've saved and earned over the years, its value is going to dissipate very quickly if they don't adjust. And a lot of people have figured this out. So there's massive demand going on across the board. Uh, gold and silver coins have been incredible. The market environment has been, you know, just super strong. The auctions that have been happening the past several months, the big coin shows that have been happening, it's just been monstrous. The activity is just over the top. And this has been happening, as you say, without gold prices really going up a whole lot. They've been steady, you know. They, you know, as you know, you've taught us they they this is a controlled spot price, right? The gold fix and the silver. Oh, it's, sure. It's not a free market. And if it was a free market, gold could be, you know, $4,000 today or something. I don't know. But, um, and this is all happening with gold. So what would be the precipitate, the gold and silver prices really starting to make some moves, which they would then, as you know, more people want to buy it when it's going up, which is kind of counterintuitive <laughs> rather than... Yeah. Well, right. the nice thing is, is that the value of gold and silver coins are continually climbing, even with the volatility in the price of gold and silver itself. Mm. You know, the rare coin side of the market is, is still growing. Uh, but what will drive the price of gold higher is as people really begin to perceive the inflation. Um, again, there are going to be short-term things that will intervene in the price of gold's climb, which is why it looks like a ratchet. Um, I meant to pull up a graph. I didn't do it. I don't know if you can, but you know, you pull up a graph of gold, let's say over the last 10 years, of silver in the last 10 years, <clears throat> and you'll see a steady increase going from left to right. It is up. clearly yeah. on an upward climb, but what you'll notice is that it looks like a bunch of steps. You know, it's not a straight line. It's a ratchet. It moves up, it pulls back, it moves up, it pulls back, it mm -hmm. moves up a little higher, it pulls back, and it continues to do this little step, step, step climb. So periodically, there will be these pullbacks. I think they create great buying opportunities. You know, gold was almost $2,000 an ounce two weeks ago. And that was because people were recognizing <clears throat> the inflation problem. Then we had a little bit of a dollar rally and again, a pullback in gold. Nothing has changed from two weeks ago. So it's like, you know, it's like a good basketball player faking his head to the left and moving right. It's a great head fake. And it will fool a lot of people to temporarily believe that, you know, gold is not going up. But it is. And it's going to continue to get higher and higher. We had the same conversation when gold was running between 11 and 1300 an ounce. It would get to 1270. Mm -hmm. And then one day we're looking at 1190. And people are like, well, why is gold down? Well, it is, but it's not. I mean, it, again, it's part of the nature and the way that gold climbs. It will never go straight up. When it got close to 2000, there was an extensive effort to try to suppress the price because the, the last thing that they want in the open world is for people to believe that the U.S. dollar is being so heavily inflated that they need to dump dollars and start buying gold and silver. That's what they don't or crypto want. Crypto or something else. Yeah. Because if we can't get people to continue want, wanting dollars, how are we as a government going to sell debt? And how is the Federal Reserve going to unwind its debt? 
if no one wants the dollar, how are you going to do that? It, it would be like trying to sell Russian bonds right now. How hard would that be? I would not want to be a Russian bond salesman in today's world. No, no. A couple questions here. I'm looking at the chart, Fred. And boy, 2019, as you know, that's when it really took off, right, from 1,200 up to uh, 2,100, right? Over 20, 2019, 2020. Uh, what happened there? What was going on there? I mean, how come they couldn't keep it down? from that move well again you know this is where the quantitative easing and all this sort of nonsense was really starting to unwind and become a real big big thing where people began to see the extent the uh effort that the fed was making to try to solve the economic problem and i think at that point people were still feeling the panic of 2008 they remembered how close the economy had come to the brink and they were terrified that if the fed didn't pull this off you know, that we might have a complete economic disaster. And people were worried that the dollar was going to implode. And they were running from the dollar mm-hmm. and buying gold and silver as fast as they could, driving prices higher and higher and higher. So you're going to get these periods where the psychology shifts. And to me, it's it's kind of interesting that, you know, a market can be moved not based on fundamentals, but based on psychology. But a lot of what moves markets is perception. You know, a lot of it is perception. And even mm-hmm. when it comes to inflation, a lot of it is perception. That's why I think this is different in that it's hard to not see the inflation. You know, it's one thing when you and I talk about it in a, in a mechanism form. We can say, I saw the inflation in 2020. I recognized it then because what I saw was the money supply growing. Right. And I understand that you cannot increase the supply of money in a fixed economic environment without creating inflation. But there was no anecdotal notice of it there. It it wasn't visible to people. All we could see is you and I could look at the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. Mm -hmm. We could watch Fred and we could see that, hey, this money supply is exploding. I know what that means in the end. But for most people, it doesn't translate. Now they see Now what we have is a visible inflation market, right? You can't go anywhere without experiencing higher prices which we know is the end result of pushing money into the economy. So right now, it's a lot more visible for people. So they're paying a lot more attention. But they do like it when the Fed says, well, we have this, you know, idea. We have a plan. And here's our plan. You know, we're going we're gonna to start raising rates, and that's going to help the inflationary problem. We're going to unwind our balance sheet, which will put us in a better position to address whatever economic issues come up in the future. And we're going to do all this simultaneously without trying to stall the economy i say good luck yeah well fred no matter what these guys do up in washington dc in the new york fed uh i can't see how going to my heb is going to change the price of fish that is like almost some of this fish is doubled and i don't even know it must be some supply chain thing you know it's like crazy well that's that's another part of the problem the right? there are multiple thing. things going on yeah. here not only do we have the loss of value in the money creating the inflation increase but now again on top of that as if this weren't enough we also have supply chain problems so covid created a problem of employment so you literally didn't have enough people to move product from one place to another and we had talked years ago about the tightness of the uh, of the supply chain issue just in time. and how ridiculously just-in-time ordering had gotten where the entire world was running on this so tightly wound rope that there was simply no wiggle room. And as soon as there was a break in that supply chain, 
everything kind of fell apart and got backlogged. And on top of that, then uh, we had shipping issues and then we had container problems and we had manpower problems at ports where you couldn't unload ships fast enough. And, you know, a hundred ships off the coast of Long Beach lined up trying to unload product that's been sitting there for three months now. Things that used to take two or three weeks to come into the U.S. now take two or three months. Everything I order that comes overseas they may immediately recognize that uh, I've got an order placed, but within a couple of days, I always get one of these. Your order's been placed, but there is a back order. You think? We yeah. expect about a month delay. Have you seen the and, amount of ships that are outside of Shanghai there, just trying to get in? Insane. And they're in China. I don't know what they're thinking. They're locking down people more because they claim there's more. I don't know. They're really locking so people you gotta, down. So you have yeah. a slowing economy in China, and you don't have enough labor to remove the products. And they're locking people down. And again, we down. import a lot of our stuff. You know, remember, America's pretty bad about one thing. We don't produce a lot of our own stuff. We, <laughs> we buy everything from everybody, yeah. you know. Um, the percentage of things that we take in from outside sources, you know, of our day-to-day life is huge. Includes, you know, everything <laughs> from our food supplies to you know, chips and things like that for computers, parts for automobiles. Everything that we do is coming from outside sources. With this supply chain niche, without it flowing smoothly, all these things being backlogged and delayed, it's adding to the inflationary problem. So it's forcing prices to go up because there's a squeeze on availability products. And, you know, manufacturers are not dumb, neither are the retailers. You know, if there's one camera or if there's one television available because they used to have a hundred of them in stock don't raise the price they're going to get what they want for it you know <laughs> i mean there's no reason they can't raise their prices and this isn't even accounting for the labor problem right so now as everybody is going around and working and day-to-day people are experiencing higher prices they're going back to their employers and saying listen i i can't make ends meet on this salary you need to bump up my pay so now the employers have to pay out more money, pay more taxes on the Which money. Which is inflationary. Everything right? is becoming this sort of cycle. It's mm. like a snowball effect. And again, while this is all happening, the, the Fed is trying to say they're going to push back into the market $5 trillion worth of debt that they bought in the past two I years. I agree with you. Not and they don't think this is going to create a problem. I, I'm not going to happen. Bewildered. And the, uh, the trade deficit I saw this morning was uh, over $100 billion, So we're buying... You know, uh, and that that puts a squeeze on GDP, right? Gross domestic sure. product. We don't, we're not, we're not, you know, say what you will about Trump, but he talked about this for years, you know. He talked about this idea, we got to start making this stuff at home, you know, and he tried, yep. you know, he tried. No, I don't think he, I don't think he did that understanding where we would be probably today. Not, In probably. other words, right, that was not his thought. But I think what had come to recognition by the time he had become president was that, you know, we have moved away over the decades more and more towards being globalists. So we're trying to encourage worldwide trade. And well, that's all well and good. But little by little, we suddenly also did give away all of the products and manufacturing that we did because it became substantially cheaper to set up a manufacturing plant in India or in Vietnam than it did in Ohio or Pennsylvania. So, you know, if we're manufacturing products outside of the U.S., well, then they have to be brought in here somehow. And if that supply chain gets interrupted, you know, now we've created a bigger problem. And I think, you know, Trump recognized that our, let's say, uh, requirement to have things coming from outside the U.S. weakened the United States as a country. He it did. made us more reliant he on did. these countries. And yeah. he felt yeah. 
uh, we just shouldn't be so reliant uh, on the rest of the world. We should <clears throat> more internalize uh, the production of the things that we need. The more we could do that, the stronger we could be as a nation. And I don't think it was because he expected supply chain problems, uh, but I think it was just a general idea that we'd gone too far. You know, we'd gone from trying to encourage worldwide trade to becoming now reliant on everybody to provide us with all the things we need on a daily basis. I mean, nobody's going to forget how ridiculous toilet paper got for a while. You know, I, know. I mean, of all the strange things to happen, uh, we are experiencing an unusual set of circumstances. But this is unprecedented territory where we are now. We, we've never had this kind of environment before. And I think the Fed has got to try to figure it out on the fly. And, you know, I've researched this stuff back as far as the Fed uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. goes. I mean, going back to the, when they were established, they have a horrible track record of trying to deal with economic environments that are in the uncertain range. They have a horrible track record of trying to deal with things that are bigger than they are. And they tend to be very far behind the curve. In this case, they are so far behind the curve. The raising of rates that we've talked about is starting now, should have started a year and a half ago. They should have been slowly rate, letting rates rise, but they didn't. Now they have to try to do it more quickly, which means instead of, let's say, quarter point raises, they're going to have to be 50, 50 basis point raises, maybe 75. And they're going to have to continue to do this month after month after month. And if they go too fast, that's what creates this recession. And this is why I think the big money guys are fairly certain that the end result of what we're going to experience because of what the Fed's going to attempt to do to fight off inflation is that the Fed's going to create a recessionary economy. Fred, do you have an idea of um, what the foreign purchase of treasuries like China, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Ireland, and do we know what that number is about? Any idea? Yeah, we know how much they hold. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the number was uh, something like twelve trillion for China. You know, it was it was a, a pretty good number. But somebody had done the math once and said, you know, what if China gets upset with the U.S. and says, in order to fight back against, let's say, a, a Trump-style environment where we try to say we don't want to import any more goods from China, and we're going to stop doing that, we're going to try to do things more domestically. They said, well, what if China retaliates and tries to sell off its, you know, U.S. Not debt twelve trillion, one point two trillion, not twelve trillion, one point two trillion. Okay. So if China tries to sell off half of what it half. has, that'd be huge. The problem was is <laughs> that it would drop the price of the bonds that it held by so much. The remaining bonds it didn't sell would go down in value so much simply by them selling half of what they held that it would have negated the sale of the first half. They would have gained nothing. Yeah. They would have lost 50% of the value of the remaining half, and effectively nothing would have changed. So they can't really hurt us by trying to sell off. The, they don't hold enough to really damage the U.S. Boy, economy. But, but couldn't they, couldn't they just, what, what, if, what if they woke up someday and had too much sake or whatever they drink and said, we're just going to sell the trillion out in the market. Wouldn't that hurt the, this country? Well, sure, but yeah. again, it would hurt them as much as it would hurt okay. us. So there's there's no real gain there. I mean, and and it would hurt us temporarily. Uh, what I think would have to happen in such an extreme circumstance, which I think is they're not going to do it. It's unrealistic. You know, I, I, there's no real benefit to them to do that. China thinks long term. You know, they don't think about tomorrow. They think about ten years, twenty years from now, right. hundred years from now. Um, you know, the Fed would step in and, and make that purchase if it had to. 
sure. recognizing that it's going to have to create a monstrous inflationary problem within the U.S. <laughs> to pull that off. But that's what they would do. They, they would wouldn't. Do. They would just buy. You know, they it. Yeah. wouldn't just let it go down. So also, you we could absorb it. You mentioned something earlier. Uh, before we go, if you have a chance, uh, if you'd like to talk to Fred, triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six. So people that bought a ten year Treasury, you said two years ago. They are getting 1.4% interest, right, for 10 years, correct? Yes. Now, the the 10-year treasury is up to what? It's up to 3%. 3%. So, did those folks that own these 10-year treasuries, they just lost a lot of money, right? Well, Not kinda, yeah, it's no, an opportunity loss. An opportunity loss, but if they just let it go to to the end, it's not terrible. They just only get 1.4%. They just get less money. But here's the problem. What if they don't want to hold it through fruition? Which most people don't. What if they wanted to sell that back into the market? Then they lose The problem money. is that demand for those lower paying yields is going to be a lot less than yeah. the current ones. Yeah. And again, this is the problem the Fed is facing too. So uh, this is the downside to bondholders. You know, if you're investing in bonds right now, you have a problem. Because you know, you know it's going up, right? you dollars worth of bonds, <laughs> you know it's and you're going to try to sell them, you're going to get a discounted price if you yes. try to unload bonds you currently hold in lieu of the new higher paying interest bonds that are coming out today. This is why it's very uh, uh, inappropriate, if you will, to hold a bond portfolio if you believe interest rates are rising. Now, the opposite is true if interest rates are going down sure, sure. because it means the bonds you bought last year are paying higher than the current ones. You might get a premium if you wanted to sell your bond even early than it's, than it's due date. Sure. But if you try to liquidate a bond that's paying less than the current market environment, you're going to get a discounted price for it if anybody is willing to buy it at all. And that mm -hmm. creates its own problem for bondholders. This is why a lot of people are looking for another place to park their capital. And I think that place should be in physical assets. I think people should be aggressively acquiring. Um, I love gold and silver coins because of the fact that they're fixed in supply. You know, of all the physical assets that one can buy, there are lots of choices out there. But gold and silver coins make a wonderful tool because we already know they can never make any more of them. We know the date they stopped minting them. We know how many were produced. We know roughly what's left out there in the world. We know that there's existing demand for it and that it's something that can be liquidated in small parts or large quantities at any given moment. So it's a perfectly fluid kind of market, but it creates a great place for people to store wealth during uncertain times. The one thing that we have figured out is that diversification was the most powerful tool that investors could have to make it through whatever economic environments were coming up. And the more uncertainty we have, the more important it is not to be too heavily weighted in any one area. And especially now when equities, and that would be stocks and bonds, are going to have a lot of trouble that they have not had the past few years. The opportunity is there to make money in other areas. And again, I believe people should be acquiring gold and silver coins uh, to help not only diversify their wealth, but protect the value of the money that I think is going to be eroded quickly, because I don't believe this inflation problem is going away anytime soon. So I think it's, it's important to... Uh to help our listeners understand that you are different from all of the commercials on radio and TV saying the world's coming to an end, you should buy gold. I mean, I hear them, right? They, they, they do this. But you've never been in that realm. 
You've never no, I've never bought that. Premise. You've never bought I, that I, premise. You've always I can't accept the notion yeah. that the dollar would become worthless yeah. because I I can't see how the world would function at all for a day without the dollar being around. It's not going I mean, anywhere. So. People don't recognize how much the dollar is used. You know, we can we can talk about all the fundamental problems with it, and they are real, and that is what creates that problem in people's mindset is it's hard to ignore the depth of the problems with the dollar. How do you ignore a fact that the government's 30 plus trillion in debt and interest payments alone on the debt are the second biggest item in its entire budget? Is it 500 billion? After the Department about, of Defense. Is it about 500 debt billion on the, on the, debt? Something a like year. That? Yeah, a year. So how do you ignore that? And how do you ignore the fact that we've added 40% to the supply of money in a two year period? Wow. You can't, but the idea that that translates to the dollar becoming worthless and that we're going to be bargaining on the streets to buy goods and services with things not US dollars. You know, and, and people have said, well, how do I use my gold and silver coins? Am I going to the supermarket with a $20 gold coin to buy food? And I'm like, no, 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 no you're going to convert that back into money first. Like it were a stock, mm -hmm. you sell it, you get the value it represents. That value comes back to you in US dollars you spend those dollars. The idea being that storing your money in the gold and silver coin today at least prevents it from losing that buying power by the time you're ready to actually spend uh, in it. Inflation, uh, which we... So I think there's a couple of givens uh, before we go that we should really understand that it's, inflation, there's just no way what you're saying, what I'm hearing you, that this inflation thing is going to uh, tame down anytime soon. Uh, mathematically, politically, economically it seems really unrealistic, unrealistic when the fed says they yeah. think inflation is going back to two percent next year yeah it's not happening. you know I, I just find that a little hard to believe any more than i accepted the notion when they were saying it was transitory i didn't buy that either but they <laughs> kept repeating it and they yeah. kept saying just it. transitory and i was struggling with this i honestly patrick i, I had a real <laughs> hard time with it because you know it seemed to me it was so obvious that that was not right sure. or not true sure that it left me with two possibilities they were either that far removed from reality that they didn't understand basic economics which i found troubling because this is the federal reserve right <laughs> you know th these are brilliant people they're well educated they studied this is what they do how do they not understand that that's not realistic they had to know and that left me with the other option which is that they're just completely full of crap and that they're just trying to promote this particular you know, it's mindset to stave off a bigger problem. Right, so right. I believe it was the latter. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask before we go to, you said something about if Russia really gets into a, a bad hair day and they can't pay on their, their Russian bonds that people have purchased in dollars and they would default, you had said something like, I mean, wh what would happen? And what could the United States do or what could the Fed do or what could anybody do? What are you going to do? Well, there's two parts of that. So one, there's the, the who is the holder of that debt. Right. So let's say, you know, the European Central Bank has, uh, you know, a bond that it's sold to Russia that is now due. Mm -hmm. And Russia says, well, we don't have the money to pay you. The EU may turn to the U.S. and say, look, would you release some of these sanctions against Russia so, so that we pay. can get paid? <laughs> you know, or do they take the position and say, we'll suck up the loss for the benefit of this putting pressure on Russia and adding these sanctions, you know, for the benefit of Ukraine, it's going to become an interesting problem. I think mm -hmm. the pressure will build. I mean, it's it's sort of like, you know, 
how far will your friends support you? <laughs> right. At some point, they may turn around and go, oh, yeah, enough's yeah, enough. I'm, we want to get sorry. paid. So, yeah, we, we get that Russia's being bad and, you know, they need to be punished, but uh, I still want my money. So, so would you ever see the day where Russia would sell some of their gold, uh, get enough dollars to keep? keep oh, hell yes. Yeah, they? they may have no choice. Really? Like I said, they had a scramble. This morning, they were within, I didn't uh, see honestly, that story. days really? wow. of default. About $650 million was due today in, in U.S. dollars. In and US they had to dollars. dig through their pile because they do have a stockpile of U.S. dollars, which they will burn through in no time if they are forced to make payments in bonds in U.S. dollars. So they're doing a lot of things to try to get people to look at the ruble more seriously. I, I heard stories of the Russian's uh, finance minister suggesting that they're going to try to back the ruble with gold or commodities. You know, they're discussing all sorts of options, again, to try to put out the perception that, you know, it's okay to take money in, in rubles. I would not <laughs> do that were I a bondholder. I would not want to be paid in rubles because I, I would have a hard time accepting the notion that there's any stability in the value right. of a ruble in these circumstances. I, I read it, they want to do something with the ruble or to, to tie it to a basket of currencies and maybe SDR and some gold and commodities. Well, they have to explore all sorts of options well, because get creative, right? they need to try to convince you, for example, to, to, why would you want to hold rubles, right. right? So I'm going to try to sell you on the idea that you should be holding rubles. Well, how do I do that? Under the current environment, you might be very suspicious about the idea that the ruble is going to retain its value because it's all predicated on Russia's continued ability to keep selling its oil. Um, which, again, shouldn't be a problem, which is why the ruble's been able to even sustain back, itself yeah. under the last few months and yeah. all the sanctions. It hasn't really dropped a lot. It, it, whatever dropped, it's, it's come back already. But the question goes forward, you know, how do we get people to perpetually want rubles? You know, if, if the ruble looks weak because the economic environment is weak, you got to start coming up with other ways to attract people. And one of those might be, you know, can you create a basket of goods and services or commodities against that now? That's what they're trying to do. Ruble, yeah. And then then offer it to people and say, well, at least mm -hmm. it's backed by something. Yeah. And, you know, you'll feel better about that. But it, that's going to be a challenge. And the difference between backed and exchangeable is huge, right? You're not going to be able oh, yeah. to exchange a ruble for some gas or oil. Yeah, they're not saying that. No, they're, no, they're not they're, saying they're that. They're not going that far. Just be no. backed. As Andrew used to say, yep. the dollar is backed by F-16s. Remember, he used to say, <laughs> what's backing the dollar? Oh, F-16s are backing the dollar. God. Yeah. It's a, the good faith and credit of the United States government. Mess. So how good is the good faith and credit of yeah. the Russian government you know, to sustain the value of the ruble? Um, it's, it's a challenge for them. And especially with every media outlet in the world and the so-called alternative media uh, saying that Putin is in the next Hitler and you know he just is you know he doesn't have a very good reputation right now and whether or not it's valid that's up to you to decide but you know everybody's just kicking his butt you know just every and you know. how much do people care so like yeah, will yeah, yeah. a foreign country that wants to buy cheap oil from Russia really care that he's a bad guy no, yeah. you know there's going to be a point at which they care but there's going to be a point at which the money is going to outweigh their concerns so you know it's going to be a question of how bad of an actor he turns out to be and how perpetually he continues to be obnoxious to the world and whether they deem that more important than than getting paid yes sir. but uh, i see it somewhat problematic 
Here's an email from Karen. Patrick had a constitutional authority on yesterday, Richard Proctor. Oh, yeah, I'm glad she brought this up. And he mentioned that the spread between gold and silver is usually 1 to 16. Does Fred agree with that? It's, and that goes way back. He talked about yeah, uh, uh, Is there something to that? that up from time to time. Is there something to I've that? I've never found that, that relationship, you know, or means isn't a it lot. supposed uh, to be? Isn't it supposed to be 1 to 16? No? Whatever well, that means? you know... If you want to go back historically, we're talking about uh, $1 to $20. So, you know, roughly 18 to 1 or so. It, yeah. Right. But again, I, I just have never really seen that that relationship uh, really held up per se. It, you know, sometimes that gap gets a little wider and, and then it closes itself. But, you know, I, again, I, I, I do recognize that that was there initially. Obviously, that doesn't really matter on a constitutional basis anymore. We don't utilize that. We don't use it. Like but, um, you know, I've always looked at that. Once in a while, I'll pay attention to it if the gap suddenly seems to get really, really different. You know, if it's 25 to 1 or 30 to 1 or, 80, you know, if it starts looking a little wider than normal, uh, sometimes that tends me to lead toward thinking, well, maybe the gold's overpriced or the silver's underpriced. And usually within short order, they, they seem to kind of come back to that that level, but... Uh, I don't know that it really means much. You I know, just I did the math it now. It's 84. Predictor. 84. Yeah, it's usually like 80 to 1. 80 to 1. Boy, 16 would be big time silver. So when's silver going to yeah. really have a payday? Boy, the silver monsters have been out there waiting for years. <laughs> Forever, yeah, well, right? again, wow. you know, as long as there's push against the, the markets to try to keep the prices from really escalating. Yes. Um, it will still continue to climb under that pressure. But, you know, I've always looked at gold and silver as a warning sign. And when they're running high, it's a flat-out warning to people that there's a problem with the dollar. And it's the last thing that those powers that be want to see. They don't want the public to recognize the flaw, which is why they have a real problem with inflation. You know, it's one thing when you're printing money and nobody sees the result of it, you can get away with that for a while because <laughs> the public isn't screaming. But when you anecdotally cannot walk through the day-to-day life without experiencing the inflationary problem, this is why it's getting so much press now. Hey, you know, even the president's with, talking yeah, about it. Even Congress the, is talking about yeah, it. Even with a Prius, $4 a gallon is not fun, man. Even with a Prius, you know what I'm saying? It's like, right. like come on, what's Electricity up with... Electricity costs, are going, everything's going what's up. What's up with it's, that? It, it, it's across the board. But those are the problems that you know, get much more attention. Yeah, because sure. everyone experiences this in their day-to-day life, and that means that you can't hide from it anymore. And that's why it's become a problem. Oh, I tell you that's what. why the Fed is trying to address it. And you know how many trucks we have in Texas, and those babies aren't getting 40 miles a gallon like I am. So you know that sure. there's not a lot of happy campers out there driving around in trucks, you know, getting, what, 15 miles a gallon or 20 miles a gallon? Not not good, you know. That's not well, um, here we are. Um, <laughs> oil is going up to 106 bucks today. So, yeah, WTI is back over 100 and 101. 106. 106. Okay, so it's skyrocketing. Yeah, yeah it's it's moving up today. And uh, well, kiddo, um, here we are. So, talk a bit about your company, uh, and I'm going to put your slide up here. And uh, why would folks want to call you and do something fun with gold and silver coins? And how do they do that? Yeah, it, you know, it is fun. But uh, I think the most fundamental reason that we're getting a lot of people that are doing this now, and I think a lot of people should be doing this now, is that 
there are two things. One is this economic uncertainty. And during uncertain times, nothing weathers the test of time better than gold and silver. Nothing. It has held up for thousands of years as a store of value, and for a very good reason. And the gold and silver coin market is thriving as long as we continue to print unbacked money in the United States, which I believe is going to continue for the rest of at least my life. I don't see that changing anytime soon. We're going to continually inflate the value of paper money. So for those that are looking to store wealth for their future, you need some physical, tangible assets. And with us, you get actual physical delivery of the physical gold and silver. You get the actual product. And we'll help educate people on how to do this properly, the particular kind of gold and silver coins that are best, and then again, help guidance-wise and make sure that we provide you the best possible product for you. But again, I think in an uncertain economic environment, you've got to diversify. In an inflationary environment, hmm. it's critical to sustain buying power that you don't have too much money in paper that's being heavily inflated. You should be acquiring gold and silver coins. And on these price dips, what a great buying opportunity for people that might be new to the market or have larger amounts of capital that they're looking to move into the economy. This would be the time to do it. And you all, with your all your whole staff, are all well-informed and know that you really caution people to not just buy a $20 gold piece or something with the hopes of selling it in a year, right, to, 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 when the price of gold goes up. These are longer-term investments, right? This is, you try to inform yeah, people Yeah, this is about. something, again, inflation isn't gonna erode the value of your money overnight. It's something that takes hold over time. So that what we're looking at is the ability to sustain value in money going forward. And I usually recommend about a five-year time frame that people should consider their hold period for physical assets so that they can allow the inflation to do what it's going to do and grow the value of the gold and silver coins they've purchased in the past. You know, those that purchased in 2020 and 2021, uh, they've seen some pretty good gains already. Uh, and that is a little more unusual, but that's the economy we're in where mm -hmm. things are happening a little more quickly. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I do caution short-term investors or those that are speculating at the end of the world this happening next week. And, <laughs> you know, I've had, I can't tell you the thousands of calls we've had from people who some event was going to happen within a short period of time that right. they thought was going to unravel everything. And that's why they wanted to buy gold and silver. Y2K, remember that? I don't one? think that's uh, the way to do this. I think it's a... Uh, longer-term investment for those people that are thinking ahead and just saying, look, I just don't want to have money that I've worked hard to save and earn change in value because of things I can't control. Yeah, We can't control how much the government is going to deficit spend. We cannot control the fact that we have an unbacked currency in America. We can't control the fact government's already $32 trillion in debt. <laughs> but what we can do is diversify our own assets. So protect your own personal wealth accumulate physical gold and silver coins i've got some great deals on some gold packages cool uh for any of the listeners that want to give us a call just mention you heard us on one radio network and we've got a couple of great deals going this week so give us a call and what do you have in the way before we go of uh currency silver in other words not the coins in the plastic uh, cases we're and actually graded. We're what do you much do? better now than we were a month ago we were having some serious shortage problems with you know, half dollars and things from time. Right now, we're pretty steady. Uh, so I have available bag quantities and smaller amounts. A bag referring to a thousand face value. So a bag of dimes is 10,000 dimes. A bag of quarters is 4,000 quarters. 
a bag of halves, two thousand half dollars. I have a, a quite a decent amount now of inventory available in all of those denominations, which has been a bit of a struggle. So this would be a good opportunity to take advantage of that as well. And so people will just buy a bag of four thousand quarters, which is what about how much? silver in each quarter friend how much silver oh it, it runs price-wise around twenty-five, twenty-seven thousand dollars or so uh depending on the price of silver that given day and it's about uh, 52 pounds of silver it's a good quantity wow. Wow. Uh, it's a great great way to store uh value because you can sell one quarter at a time you can use one quarter at a time to buy goods and services or you can sell the whole bag all at once mm, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of fun, especially if you're a crashaholic and you think that we're going to be running around the streets naked in uh, tumbleweeds. Uh, silver <laughs> currency, silver would be fun to have. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, you know, we take care of everybody around here. All right, Freddie. Well, thanks for coming on. Say hi to Donna and Roger and on the rest of the staff. And we will see. Will you, do. We will see you next uh, the first uh, Wednesday in on our next episode. June. Wow. Is that crazy? That's crazy. June. Kid, thanks a lot. 800-878-2646, Fred Dyshevsky. Thanks, Fred. Take care of yourself. See you soon. Thank you, Patrick. Bye-bye. Great to see you. And nice to see you. All right, we will uh, do a little break here. I'm just going to take a little break, and uh, I've got orange juice. I could, you know, going to be back in about five minutes, and we'll come back and think around for a little bit and see what's going on and talk about the world. And just because I can, I have a clean shirt on, and, you know. I love you all very much. Thanks for your support. If you'd like to get some of our products, uh, just go to oneradionetwork.com. We got hydrogen machine. We have um, a 20% off promo code one radio. Uh, Elk velvet antler. I got to remind myself to buy some of that. And it's called uh, strong. Is it strong 20 or is it which one? What's the code? Strong 20. 20% off on elk velvet antler, antler with Sir Thrival. Uh, don't forget Chen Blossom. Uh, go on there and check out some of their things. Maybe get yourself some 50-year-old ginseng and uh, kick it up a notch. Uh, our sauna is a great sauna and um, a lot of cool things. BioAge. Boy, I love this product. I just brought a new bottle and I'm doing about 20 a day of these pumpkins. Some microalgaes. Hey, you can feel these. Very, very powerful product, BioAge. So we've got great products. Uh, this uh, Pearlsium that you can also uh, do the capsules and take these internally and then brush your teeth with the Pearlsium. So um, the best. We have the best products ever. I would stack up our products as far as quality, performance, any products out there. And that's the only ones we, we play around with. They're uh, products that, that we know, that we use, that we know the people, the whole thing. Um, I just, I can't do it any other way. I'm just not going to sell things just to be, just to be selling things. You know? All right. I'll see you in about uh, five minutes or so and we'll come back and uh, open up the phone lines and uh, chat it up for a few minutes and see where we are. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.